Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and welcome to episode two of Direct Snap. And Direct Snap is a show where we address controversial football topics that many want to either avoid completely or tap dance around. And again, this is episode two, and you can follow us on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. On Instagram, we're Football Game Plan. Vine, we're Football Game Plan. Our Football Game Plan Facebook fan page is at, you guessed it, Football Game Plan. And also keep up with our YouTube videos on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash football game plan. All of our podcasts, this one, our HBCU kickoff, our NFL game plan show, which should be coming out this week, fantasy football, all that good stuff like that, you can find archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. And this is episode two of Direct Snap, and this one is going to be called Caping for Running Backs. But first, we have to define what caping actually means. Well, caping is when you come to the defense or to the rescue of someone that you feel as though is being, or someone or something that you feel as though is being unfairly criticized or attacked. For instance, let's say Ryan Tannehill takes another sack. Instantly, you'll hear people come out and say quickly, man, he has to get a better offensive line. They have to get weapons around him, ignoring the fact that he has had plenty of weapons around him or ignoring the fact that he has had help along that offensive line. And the offensive line may not be as bad. Same thing you hear with Christian Hackenberg, who I got to see up close and personal this past weekend versus Temple, 10 sacks versus Hackenberg. But instantly you heard, man, he needs help. Yes, he does. However, I'm going to say a third of those sacks were on Christian Hackenberg. Let's say Andrew Luck throws the interception. Man, he has to get better weapons. They, he, they're asking him to do too much. See, that's caping. You know, that's caping for a player. So when you look at the running back position, this is the thing that you, you want to you wanna look at. Um, that's why I'm caping for this position. I think this position is being unfairly criticized and attacked. It, se- it seems like over the last, what, decade maybe? Let's say seven years. People have unfairly criticized and attacked this position. So, yes, I'm throwing a cape on, and I'm going cape for these running backs. And it matters to me because, one, I play the position. You know, I know what the position entails. I know the mindset of a running back. That's more important than, hey, I played the position. But I know the mindset, what goes into being a running back and what you're seeing out there, what you're feeling, what you would like to have happen. All of those good things is why I tend to cape for running backs and why it matters to me and why I get frustrated when you see people say things, you know, of the nature like, well, the running back, the running back position is going away. You don't need a running back. You can just find anybody off the street. I wouldn't spend a first round pick on a running back. You can get 50 running backs off the street to do exactly what you need them to do. See, that's that fantasy football talk. And I firmly believe fantasy football, Madden. What else? Um, That's it. Those two have ruined the way people look at football. And I'm not saying I don't like Madden, and I'm not saying I don't like fantasy football. They both have a purpose. You know, they both are great for the game. I think Madden can be a great teaching tool for a lot of people to get involved in the game and help you kind of understand concepts in a fun way. You know, you're learning while you're, you're playing a game, which is great, which is probably how a lot of people learn nowadays. So I think Madden is great. Fantasy football is great. It has people understanding 
um, you know, roster movements as far as like skill positions. It doesn't teach you about offensive line play or anything like that, but you kind of get an idea of how important it is to get your right lineup based on the matchup. And that's a part of fantasy football that I think is great because it teaches people that. So I'm not saying fantasy football is bad. I'm not saying Madden is bad. I'm just saying the way people utilize those two tools to talk about running backs has ruined the game. So before my inbox get flooded with a bunch of fantasy football guys saying that the dumb stuff like, oh, well, you know, if it wasn't for fantasy football, people wouldn't, uh, you know, fantasy football pays football players salaries as if NFL games wasn't getting sold out prior to fantasy football's invention. You know, so don't come with that nonsense. Oh, it's because, of you know, because of fantasy football, they're bringing more fans to the game. No, not necessarily. It's because the NFL has a lot of uh, these network rights that people, more people watching the game. People are going to watch the game regardless. Whether it's fantasy football, whether you're playing, you know, Bikino, whatever you're playing, people will watch football. You know, so don't, buy into the hype that fantasy football has grown the game. Yes, it has, mostly amongst women, you know, and other casual football fans. And to me, those are the ones that, that you know, are still learning the game. So I wouldn't count those as fo- football fans. They're, you know, for the most part, a lot of people are gamblers, which is why you've seen fantasy football grow. It's a quote-unquote fun form of gambling. So let's not get it twisted. But I do think Madden has a purpose, and I do think – Fantasy football definitely has a purpose. I think both are teaching tools and getting people introduced into the game, helping develop that passion, and then maybe they'll go into a little bit more deeper trying to find more information or or learn a little bit more about the game by listening to guys not being biased or being arrogant, but guys like myself that have a unique perspective on the game. Why? Because we've played the game, we've coached the game, we've scouted the game. You know, I think that's where Madden and fantasy football – can, you know, work hand in hand with the people that have practical experience. So that's why I'm caping for running backs in this episode. And we're going to start this thing off by attacking a lot of the biggest football myths out there, first of all, for the position. And last episode, the first episode of of Direct Snap ruffled some feathers, and it, it was supposed to because it was direct talk, which is why this is called Direct Snap. And I'm pretty sure this episode will also ruffle some feathers as well because, again, it's straight talk and it's attacking what people think is the norm, but where I'm going to point out is not the norm and they're looking at it the wrong way. So talking about the running back myths that we hear about the position, the first one, people just automatically assume size matters for a running back. Oh, I want my running backs to be 6 feet, 235 pounds because every running back in the NFL is 6 feet, 235 pounds, right? Wrong. Wrong. Why people believe this? Because they've been told this countless about countless amount of times by other people. It's almost like the, the situation where, you know, for instance, I used this analogy before. You know, when you're growing up, let's say in, in my kitchen when I was a kid, I always saw Crisco on the on the stove. So I I never knew what it was, never knew what it was used for. It was just always on the stove. So as I got older and got my own place. I was, what, 21, 22 when I got my own place. First thing I do is, you know, you get your bathroom stuff, you get your your, your bedding, you get your, you know, you get your couch, you get your TV and an entertainment system. And then I went and bought Crisco. Why? Because I saw it, you know, growing up on the stove, I thought, okay, this is what you must need for your stove. 
I did not know what Crisco was. And once I found out what it really was, I instantly threw it out. Like, this is bad for you. So that's the analogy with, with the whole size matters. I want my running backs to be six feet, 235. You can't find every running back to be the same. And size does not matter at that position. Talent is. And the whole thing about size, size is not a skill. I can't shake that into the heads of people enough. Size is not a skill. People look at someone and say, wow, he's 5'8", 185. (sighs) I don't know if he could take that pounding in the NFL. As if in the NFL, your job is to run directly into the defender each and every play. What is this mythical pounding that you think running backs are supposed to take at the next level? One of the greatest running backs of all time, Barry Sanders, made a living, a Hall of Fame career of making guys look foolish by making them miss. So why, as a running back, if I control the football, if I have the ball in my hands and I'm controlling the angles, why would I run directly into someone that's trying to tackle me? You see how that doesn't make sense? Just logically, if you lay it out logically, you know, just lay out the facts. It doesn't make sense. So it doesn't matter if you're 5'10", 200 pounds. It doesn't matter if you're 6'1", 245. If you have skills that translate, your size doesn't matter. Because if that was the case, if your size dictated you getting hurt, then a lot of guys, a lot of cornerbacks would get hurt every play. You know, running backs would get hurt every play, and that's not the case. And this is just speaking from experience. Also, the the whole, and this ties into the size matter portion as well, the, the biggest myth. The thing is that, People see the big hit on on uh, Sunday or Saturday or Friday. Like, wow, he's going to get hurt. Those hits don't hurt. The big splash hits, they do not hurt. I'm going to ruin that surprise for you right now. They don't hurt. What hurts is the little annoying fuckers that you don't see. When someone rolls up on your ankle, that hurts. When you're going back to the huddle, that hurts. When you try to make a cut and your leg buckles a little bit that hurts you going across the middle of the field and get cracked by ray lewis that doesn't hurt it hurts your pride so you try to pop right back up and, and make and make like oh you it didn't affect me the pride your pride is hurt because everybody in the in the stands go ooh. see those are the two things you hear on the football field you know you don't hear the crowd noise as far as like you know the rabbit fans how people think oh kansas city is the the biggest the worst place to play on the road home in the way don't 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 matter it doesn't um, because when you're out there on the field, you zone out. You're so focused on the play, you don't hear Jack what's going on. But you do hear the quarterback's cadence. You do you do hear your own self breathing. And if you get smacked, you definitely hear the ooze. Everything else is is you know is white noise. You don't hear it. So those big splash plays don't hurt. So it doesn't matter if you're a six two. 245-pound running back or a 6'4", 270-pound running back like Brandon Jacobs or a 5'9", 205 tailback like Tiki Barber, how big you are does not matter. Your skills are what matters. Size is not a skill. It's an attribute. So please get that out of your head now. It doesn't matter if you're whatever size you are. That's a myth. Second, and this is one of my favorites, he needs to be a blocker. I can't put him out there if he can't block. Tell me if you remember any devastating blitz pickups from Barry Sanders. If you ever remember any devastating blitz pickups from OJ Simpson, 
Jim Brown. Do you ever remember Bo Jackson picking up a blitz? Do you remember someone, let's say like Marshawn Lynch, picking up a blitz? Running backs are not going to be known for their blocking ability. Those running backs that are known for their blocking ability are fullbacks. Now, do you want everybody to be a fullback? If you want your if your main focus for your running back is to pick up the blitz, then why don't you just put an extra offensive lineman out there or just put two fullbacks back there? But you didn't realize how stupid that look and how ineffective your offense will be. So it doesn't matter if a guy struggles to pick up the blitz. That's one of those myths that's been, you know, perpetuated out there for a long time. Well, I mean, I, I would have given him a first-round grade, but uh, God, uh, he can't pick up the blitz. There are many ways to skin this cat. And I'm going to let you in on a little football talk right there, football talk one-on-one. When you have a team that's going to blitz you, let's say they know your running back doesn't want to pick up the blitz. And right now, I'm going to tell you the secret as well. No running back wants to pick up the blitz. Not one. Watch any running back this upcoming Saturday and this upcoming Thursday night with the NFL or even in the Canadian Football League. Watch any running back try to pick up a blitz. And you will see 30% effort. Why? Because no one wants to hear the oohs and eyes when you get trucked. That's the biggest thing. Nobody wants to get trucked because, again, the oohs and eyes come out. You probably get hurt. And now you're thinking about that for the next two plays. So if running backs can avoid blitz pickup and blocking, oh, absolutely, they'll they'll avoid that in a heartbeat. Running backs would rather go out in a pass route knowing they can't catch than to stand there and block. No one wants to block, which is why you see all running backs try to cut block because that's the easiest way to avoid the head-on collision. Let me try to cut them, get them down, and that way I did my job. But when you look at what just happened this past weekend, for example, Derrick Henry, 6'3", 230, built like a man, built like a grown man running the football. But what everybody talked about, wow, look at this block. You think you're going to draft Derrick Henry to be a blocker? Yes, he picked up a blitz. Why? Because he's tall, he has leverage, you know, and he's not that much smaller than that blitzing linebacker. He probably felt as though he had the advantage. So that's a good matchup for him. But tell you the truth, I can care less. NFL scouts can care less. Yeah, that's a bonus. He picked, he picked up the blitz. But can he run the football? His job is running back. People act like they want guards back there blocking for the quarterback. But it's a passing league. You have to be able to pick up the blitz. It is a passing league. You have to be able to pick up the blitz. Everybody that makes the Super Bowl, look at those last four teams. They have running backs that can run. But you have to be able to pick up the blitz. I need someone to create a video of Marshawn Lynch picking up the blitz. Uh, and I'm talking about not just a vine, because people will quickly go, well, look at this play. See, 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 gotcha. Ha ha. I gotcha. Here's one play. No, I need a five minute video of blitz pickup by Marshawn Lynch. That's your homework assignment. Last episode was the homework assignment of finding the best black backup quarterback. This week, Five minutes of Marshawn Lynch blitz uh, pickup. So that whole need to be a blocker is insane. Now, back to one of the points I was going to make before I got sidetracked. When you look at someone that's blitzing, a defense that's blitzing you because they know you're running back, like most, don't want to pick up the blitz. There's ways to block the blitz without blocking the blitz. We call those scat calls where 
as a running back, okay, you're responsible for this blitzing linebacker. However, we're making a scat call, which means at the snap of the ball, you instantly go out in the pass route. Now, the reason why you do this is because, one, the the player you're responsible for, the backer, he's blitzing, which means he's not covering you, which means we can dump the football off to you in space. And, and I'll get to that whole quote-unquote in space part in a second, but we dump the football off because no one is covering you. You're the hot guy. So we do this every time your backer blitz. Why? Because at some point, that defensive coordinator is going to either force this, he's going to either stop blitzing or that linebacker will have to abandon his responsibility and get out there and cover. So if he abandons the responsibility by focusing on that scat call and going out there and chase that back, now up front, we're protected. We don't. We have the advantage now. It's not six on five anymore. It's five on five. And now we're well protected. The quarterback can sit back there, scan the field, and hit a deeper pass down the field. Because if that bl- if that backer blitzes and he leaves the running back alone in the flat, guess where the ball is going? And now you have, you know, you're probably going to be in some sort of, let's say, man coverage. So your receivers are going to be running off your corners. Back is out in the flat. And it's not a screen. It's a just a straight scat call. He's running out on a swing or a flat route. Boom, get the football out of his hands quickly and let him turn upfield and make plays. That's how you can block the blitz without blocking the blitz. And I draw these up countless amounts of times on my whiteboard videos, and people still choose to ignore them because they rather hear Joe Blow from Insert Network Television say, oh, running back's got to pick up the blitz. What I'm watching right here, this guy on YouTube draw up, doesn't make sense. Even though it makes sense, but since Joe Blow on Insert Network here is saying this, you know, with his scouting terms of the day or his, you know, football word of the day, saying you got to get a backer, you know, to you got to, your back has to block. He's just saying stuff that he heard someone else says. Never mind the fact that I played the position. Hey, forget all that. For, forget that for, for like this entire episode. Forget all of that. Just focus on the facts. There's ways to get around a back not picking up the blitz. So that cancels out needs to be a blocker. And here's another one of my favorites. You hear this every Sunday, every Saturday. No, no, no. Every Sunday, every draft season, made about every running back that has a little bit of speed, a little bit of athleticism. You want to get his speed outside in space. In space. Space. I don't think people realize... A football field is only 53 and the third yards wide. Canada is a little bit different. You have that quote-unquote space that everybody is looking for. But in college football, in the NFL, you don't have a lot of space. And listen, in high school, I was a, a you know a B, a, a B student. Geometry was C plus. But the one thing I learned about geometry that made sense to me was angles and how angles affect different things. I was very interested in angles. Why? Because it direct it tied directly to football. And I wasn't the fastest guy by no means stretch of the imagination. You can ask anybody that played with me. They'll tell you right off the bat. Emory was tough to bring down, but you can catch him. It wasn't the fastest. But this whole, you got to get speed to the outside. Got to get the speed to the outside in space. That makes no sense. Why? Because geometry teaches you that angles neutralize speed. 
if you want to get to the outside and you're fast and I take the proper angle, which is why coaches, D-line coaches in drills, linebacker coaches in, in drills and in individual periods, and even the secondary, they teach angles. I'm going to beat you to the spot. Yes, you're faster than me, but I'm going to beat you to the spot. This goes back to a game. Let, let's say 2000, I want to say maybe it was 2000 or 2001. Saints and Rams were playing. And this was the Rams that had, you know, Marshall Falk and all those guys like that. Saints had a very good defense at the time uh, with Norman Hand and Grady Jackson, those guys in the middle. Um, and they threw a swing pass to Marshall Falk. And he got ran down by big Norman Hand, who was about 6'3", 350. Why he got ran down by big Norman Hand? Because on paper, Falk ran a 4-3. There's no way in hell he's supposed to be supposed to get caught by Norman Hand. Why? Because Norman Hand took the proper angle and beat Marshall Falk to the spot because of the angle. So when you say, when you think in your head, okay, speed is fast, get him to the outside to where he can outrun everybody, no. One, you already have an outside linebacker out there. You already have a cornerback out there. You have an alley defender in the safety that's going to fly up and make a play. So you're already beat by alignment, theoretically. Yes, it happens sometimes. You know, if guys can get outside, they may outbeat, outrun an angle. But here's another myth. Not all football players are blazing fast. Being fast and being blazing fast are two different things. So what you really want to do with your speed, guys, you want them to go downhill. Here's why. When you're fast like that and someone is coming right at you and you're a defender and you're in a waiting position because you don't know where he's going with the ball, you just see him running at you. You're flat-footed, you're tense, and he gets up on you so quick to where you can't make a decision, and then he gives you a little shimmy or a little shake, and boom, he explodes out that cut, and he's gone. So if you look at a lot of speed guys that people like to classify as speed guys, and what they do and where they break their runs is going down the middle. Rarely do you see speed guys hit the corners pre-line of scrimmage and outrace everybody to, down the sideline. It rarely happens. It'll start inside. They'll make a move. Then they'll break it to the outside. Then they'll use their speed because they've neutralized the angles by going straight ahead, then breaking out. But if they just start out by going outside, they're going to get caught. That's geometry. And again, I'm not the smartest math guy, but that geometry makes a lot of sense. So you want your speed guys going downhill because, again, it gets up on you quick. Then they make a move and explode out of their brakes, and they're gone. If you go back and look at Napoleon Kaufman with the Oakland Raiders, all Los Angeles Raiders, you go look at Kaufman, a lot of his runs and why he was so dangerous down at A and B gap, and he explodes through the hole. He explodes through the hole, and then he'll explode out of that cut, make that move on a linebacker, and now that angle has been condensed with the defensive back. He's outrunning everybody to the end zone. That's where you want your speed, inside, then to outside, not outside and stay outside. That doesn't do you any good as a fast guy. Now you want – and the other part of the myth is that we want these power guys to go inside. You don't run a tall sweep with a guy that's that's strong and powerful. Well, here's the thing. The, the, one, the one reason why tall sweeps to speed guys don't work because speed guys want to be fast. They want to be speedy, which means – a lot of them lack the patience for a counterplay, for uh, a tall sweep, 
to to you know really develop and uh be effective. The slower guys have no choice because they're slow. I.e. like myself. Why? Because they're going to wait for those blockers to get set up and they're going to have their picks and chooses of those cutback lanes because the play was able to develop and set up and now they can play. And with slow guys like myself, slower guys like myself that are not fast guys that are out of these quote-unquote space guys, they really want to get downfield right away. That's the best thing for a guy like myself and, a, and guys that are slower. They want to get downhill quickly. So the good part about these, these plays where you're, you're trying to get people to flow to the outside, the blocking is now set up, and now you're going to see three different lanes that you can choose. You can stay front side, stay outside. You can cut it back, you know, uh, to, you know that backside gap. Or you can cut it right into the immediate hole that, that, you're, fa- that you're seeing um, as you're, you know, waiting for the play to develop. So you have three options, and guys do a guys that are slower do a better job on the outside plays than do guys that have a lot of speed. But see, that's changing the way you focus on things, changing the way you look at it, and this is coming from perspective. So this is why I say, you know, you don't want speed going to the outside. Put a guy in space that has a lot of speed. You really take away his his greatest asset, which is his speed. You want that speed to go downhill. You know, you look at a guy that played at Ole Miss, John Avery. You don't want John Avery going to the outside. You want John Avery going downhill and then exploding on that linebacker left or right and outracing your future to the end zone. That's what you want. You want a guy, you want to toss those those little short tosses to uh a Brandon Jacobs, you know, or Jerome Bettis or Ryan Dane, someone like that, because they're gonna instantly get downhill once those blocks develop and set up, and they're gonna get five to six yards on a, on a toss play. One of the best plays I saw. Uh, I, the first time I saw it was, I want to say Mike McCarthy when he was the offensive coordinator with the Saints. It was a toss dive. It was a great way to, to influence the linebackers to go with flow to the outside, but you're really running dive principles. And he ran it with Deuce McAllister. It was one of the more successful plays he ran uh, when he was in New Orleans because it gives you the motion of the toss, but the back is really going to instantly catch the football and sprint upfield, you know, downhill. Powerful guy, power with speed. So you want that going downhill. You want to influence backers, get those guys off the spot, get them to fly out there thinking, okay, it's a toss. Now you're cutting it right back where they where they were. You're replacing where they were, getting downhill, and now you can use your speed and whatever and make a miss. So, again, speed to the inside, power to the outside, not speed to the outside, not power to the inside. That's one myth. Another myth you hear is the short yardage back. Oh, okay, we got all these backs, man. We Listen, we got five backs. This is my this is my 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 bell cow. This is my third down back. This is my space back. This is my change of pace back. This is my I need a big play back. This is my back I'm I like. I want to develop him on the bench by not playing him. So I want him to, to see what's going on, but not really, you know, be able to play because he's gonna learn by not doing by sitting on the bench. He's that back. And here's my goal line back, my short yardage goal line back. We're going to specifically bring in a player and let everybody in the stadium know we're about to run the ball because, hey, here's our short yardage goal line back. There's no play action. There's no deception. This guy behind me, and I'm the quarterback, this guy behind me is going to ram his body into the pile that's in front of us. 
short yardage back. <sighs> this one makes no sense either. You want guys, first of all, you never want to take away your advantage of deception on a football field. So if, if I know you taking out Barry Sanders and bringing in Gerald Moore, I'm not going to be as afraid to stop Gerald Moore on the goal line. Yes, he probably had his, his uh, and I think his name was Gerald Moore. If it's not, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was number 31, who took a lot of touchdowns away from Barry Sanders, by the way, because he was their quote-unquote goal line back. But it was predictable because now you have a guy that specifically to come in there to specifically come in there and run inside of a pile. Does that even make sense? Never take away the deception. That's also like when you see guys on the goal line, you know, they've run spread or, or base 21 personnel, 22 personnel, you know, all the way down the field, 12 personnel, all the way down the field. Get to the goal line. Hey, give me nine tight ends. Bring, let's bring all the tight ends in. Can we get nine more tight ends in the game? They'll call timeout. Ref, come here. How many tight ends am I allowed to bring in the game? Because it's short yardage. I got this big, fat fullback right here. I want to put him in there with these nine tight ends. I can't do that? Okay. That's how coaches be sometimes. They want to let everybody know, hey, this is a short yardage play. We're going to create a pile and invite. We're going to invite penetration by also pulling an offensive lineman because we want to just create the biggest pileup of bodies we can possibly create. The short yardage back is a myth. Where you gain yards is with great blocking on the inside. Interior offensive line play is huge in football, but people think it's on the outside with the tackles, but it's huge on the inside. That We'll address that in another show. I'm dropping all kind of nuggets here for you guys in this episode. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. So you look at the short yardage back. Don't bring in a guy that specifically – put in there just to try to create short yardage because now people are going to get aggressive. They're going to shoot gaps, you know, and yes, you could have the, the, the element of play action or naked bootleg on the outside. I get that. But nine times out of 10 teams hand that football off to that short yardage guy who thinks, Oh, just because I'm, because I'm big and strong. I'm like caveman. I'm going to just plow through these guys that got surged. They got, you know, acceleration. I'm going to plow through these guys and get the first down. Rarely does that work. Keep your regular personnel in the game. Your starter is a starter for a reason. He does everything that you want a running back to do. So he can get those short yards. That ties into the next one, the next myth, the third down back. This guy is so special. He's so special. And third down is so crucial. We're going to bring him in the game then. You would think, you would think that if third down is the most crucial down in football, why would you take out? your starter, because if the third down back is the guy that can get first downs, wouldn't he be the starter? Well, I mean, you know, you got to bring in a smaller guy because of the passing game. And you know, who says you have to pass on third down? Who says your starter can't be a guy that can also catch? I'm not going to take out my starter because here's a guy that can also take away the, let's say, the uh, the advantage of the deception. Okay. Let's take out Darren Spro. Let's take out LaShawn McCoy and put in Darren Sproles. Okay, we know nine times out of ten it, it, it may be a pass. So we're going to game plan effectively for it. 
Yeah, but you still can't stop it. Ha, 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 ha. I swear, man, people do make you want to punch him in the face. Through the screen, through the computer screen. Your third down back is a myth. Your best back is your third down back. Well, I mean, you, you, want, you want that guy to come in, and you want, you want that change of pace and, and third downs. Listen, if I need third and five, and I got, you know, Marshawn Lynch in the backfield, I'm not going to take out Marshawn Lynch and put in Robert Turbin because it's third down. I'm going to keep Marshawn Lynch out there because now the defense doesn't know, hey, they may run it on third and five. I mean, hell, they got a great running back back there. You take Marshawn Lynch out and you put Turbin in, oh, yeah, they're about to pass the ball. Let's adjust. Let's get in coverage. It, it doesn't make sense. Oh, you you want you want a guy like Ronnie Harmon out there. Listen, Ronnie Harmon was one of the best backs in the game. His college highlights were outstanding at Iowa. He was a Heisman candidate. And, yes, he, you know, he just so happened to go to a team that uh, when he was with the Bills, I mean, you what are you going to do, take out Thurman Thomas and put Ronnie Harmon in? No, you have two good backs. You look, you utilize them accordingly. You know, he went out to San Diego. I thought he should have been a starter out there in San Diego when he went to San Diego. But Ronnie Harmon was a guy that I, if I were coaching and Hayden Fry saw this, Hayden Fry was like, yo, we want this guy out here all the time because he's a threat. He can run, he's slippery, he's elusive, and he's a great pass catcher. Now, depth caught up with him in the NFL, and they made him a quote-unquote change of pace or quote-unquote third down back, but they really didn't lose anything because Thurman Thomas had the same skill set. That's the part people are missing with the whole third down back. Yes, you can go from a LaShawn McCoy to a Darren Sproles. Why? Because they have similar skill sets. Sproles may be a better receiver, but running-wise, the threat is still there. I know I just said, like, you don't take out LaShawn McCoy and put in Darren Sproles and take away the deception, but truth be told, Darren Sproles is a guy that can run the football, and we'll get to why that's important later on in this this podcast. But the third down back is a myth. Another myth is that, and this is the part I hate when you when you're seeing guys on Twitter, and or you're at a sports bar. And this is why I don't watch games with with a lot of people. You know, I make people basically have to fill out, you know, a clearance form before I sit there and watch a game with them. Because it's tough when you see the same things being said over, over, and over. You know, oh, why would he cut it that way? He could have cut it this way. You're expecting a back to have hammerhead shark peripheral vision. That is impossible. The reason why hammerhead sharks can see that way, because look how their eyes are made. It's on the side. You sitting from your bar seat or on your couch, of course you're going to see the hole. And here's the thing. Some guys may or may not have had put on a football helmet before. So when you have a helmet on, you only see so so much of, you know, of space. Yes, there, there are backs that have great vision when we talk about great vision. It's just a great feel when we mention that, you know, a feel for where people that are trying to tackle you are going to be. Some guys are able to consistently see that and have great peripheral vision. But no one is able to see every cutback because what you're looking for, and here's where, you know, the practical experience comes into play. When you're running the football, 
you're seeing colors flash in front of you. So if I'm running the ball and I see, okay, I have my my jerseys here, you know, my color jerseys more here than over there, I'm going where I have the better, the more blockers. Now, if I don't see anything out my periphery of a different color, yes, I know I have the ability to cut it back. But your helmet only condenses so much. So you can't see everything. And, and this is the point that uh, people brought up with the Trent Richardson play. The play heard round the world. Oh, my God, look at the hole. This guy missed the hole. Dude, you do realize there was a drifting linebacker slow playing that gap, that backside gap. It was going to light his life up if he was to cut it back. And it's not John Madden football. You can't just instantly cut back on a dime. Like I said before on Twitter, the one, maybe one or two players in life could have made that cut and also then made that linebacker occupying that backside gap miss. That was, you know, a once in a lifetime play that only a, an all time great can make. You would have to have been Superman to make that play. Trent Richardson is not Superman. And that was an impossible play for him to make. He kept it front side and got a minimal gain. That was the right play for him. But people sitting up in the stands are looking at a steel shot. Oh, he should have cut it back here. Dude, this is the problem you have with steel shots. As far as this is the problem I have with running backs, uh, with the running back position and people that utilize steel shots, is that you can't, steel shots don't account for people moving. It's a snapshot. So it doesn't account for guys moving. And when you're out there, things change. So when you may see a guy that's blocked, let's say, and this was a play that happened in the preseason with Lake Seastrunk. You see a guy that's blocked on a on a steel shot. You know what I'm saying? And they, oh, well, he should have cut it back inside or should have bounced it outside. You know, kept it, you know, the guy had him blocked. No, this is what Lake Seastrunk probably saw in that play. The, the guard instantly got pushed back into the backfield. So he saw different colors, which probably meant, hey, I'm not going to get to the outside because I see the guy on the opposing team flashing. For, I saw a color flash. So let me abandon and cut back and gain like five yards. People always should have kept it outside. They, they had it blocked. But in the heat of the battle, when you're running the football from the field level, you see things differently. You see colors flash, and then you instantly say, okay, well, this guy doesn't have leverage. The outside, the tackle doesn't have leverage. Yes, he's blocking him, but that guy is not really occupied. Those are things that, that happen on the fly while you're running the football. So the only things I would knock a running back, a running back's vision on is what he does, you know, knowing, the, knowing how a play is set up and knowing what they're asking the back to do. Let's say if Trent Richardson was to cut it back in that on that play, then I would say, you know, his vision is not where it needs to be because he should have kept front side because he should have seen that backside backer slow playing that gap. That's when you attack someone's vision. It's tough to tell a running back how to run because it's all instinct and feel, but people will tell you differently. I have people tell me all the time, what do I know about playing running back? You know what? I don't know shit about playing running back. Not, not a thing. Not one thing at all. Not, not, you know, not at all. You're, you're absolutely right. What do I know? You know, my knees hurt every morning because I don't know what I'm talking about. So 
That's the thing about the vision. It's easy to say a running back should have ran this when you're looking at it from an all-22 view as opposed to when you're on the field view. Things change, bodies flash, people play faster than what a steel shot can show. So the vision is tough to knock, you know, with the running back. Yeah, a lot of things are, are going into a vision. It's, it's tough to, to explain, but you can't just say a oh, running back doesn't have vision because he didn't run this way. You can tell if a guy doesn't have vision in, in how he attacks pre-snap and how he attacks, you know, post-snap. And I saw this last week, uh, not last, well, yeah, last weekend in a Temple game, you know, with, with the running back, Jahad Thomas. You saw him do some things fine pre-snap, but post-snap, his vision wasn't where it needed to be because he didn't set up his blockers well. And you don't necessarily have to be a running back to have great vision. You see it all the time on, let's say, interception returns. You saw it yesterday with Marshall and Purdue where the back did a great job. I mean, the, the defensive back did a great job setting up the blockers and routing him getting to the end zone. That's vision. So it's tough to knock a running back's vision without – taking in the total the total context of the structure of the play, what happened to force him to either change direction or abandon the play. There's things you have to look at in order to to accurately say, okay, this running back's vision isn't where it needs to be. More so than, oh, man, he missed. He should have cut it back outside. Like, you can't say that if you're up high. Down low, maybe. Up high, no way. And the last myth before we go to break is fitting playmakers in a basic mode. So you'll look at Reggie Bush at USC, you, you, you'll say, wow, oh, my God, he is Superman. He flies. Holy moly. Reggie Bush. Red J. Bush. You'll break his name down to five or six syllables because that's how excited you got watching him play. Red J. Bush. Then when you get him into the NFL, you want him to become Earl Campbell. Let playmakers be playmakers. That's the reason why you fell in love with him in the first place. Stop trying to fit every running back into what you think a running back is supposed to be. Running backs are like painters. They're like artists, you know, musicians. Not everyone plays the same. You add your own mix to it. And there's a time and place for you to be Earl Campbell. But the play in the, in the playmaker's mindset was that, is that instead of me sacrificing my body on some let me crash into this guy, I'm going to try to make him miss and get the same effect, which has worked for this player throughout their life, which is why they're here at the highest level doing the same things that they did as a collegian and as a high school player that made them a top prospect. So when you get a guy like Barry, or Barry Sanders lost, these are the people that you really want to, you know, punch in the, in the throat. Well, you'll say, man, Barry Sanders was one of the greatest running backs of all time. Well, you know, see these were actually little people? I swear I want to karate chop them in the neck. Well, you know, he also lost the most yards in NFL history. Dude, get all, get, you, you can't get far enough out of my face fast enough when, when you say stupid stuff like that. Well, you know, I mean, but yeah. Yeah, he ran for 20,000 yards, but, I mean, those 5,000 he lost over the career, over the course of his career, huh, it's not my back. I don't get what people see in this, but, like, people will, people will make Barry Sanders 
be Barry Word. They would rather you be Barry Word than Barry Sanders. They would rather you be Barry Sanders than Barry Sanders. I don't get what's, what's, what people have against playmakers. Reggie Bush got ran out of New Orleans, got ran out of Miami, got ran out of Detroit. Now he's, you know, a veteran in San Francisco. He should have been in New Orleans still. But people always, and I'm glad, and I always say this, but I'm so glad guys like Barry Sanders, Thurman Thomas, you know, Napoleon Kaufman played in a different era. Because if they played now, oh my goodness, they'd be considered busts. Because of, well, I mean, we need you to get those tough yards. Barry Sanders, you got to run it in there behind. This is the thing that people miss about Barry Sanders that I always thought was was funny. Well, I mean, if he didn't bounce it outside, if he didn't try to, you know, make something happen, that's what makes him special. You idiot. That's what makes him Barry Sanders. And all Barry Sanders ever ever asked Detroit was, hey, I wouldn't bounce it outside as much. If y'all put a fullback in front of me, the reason why I'm bouncing outside, because I got to miss, I got to make that first guy miss a lot of times. And then I'll get into, you know, the design of the player and do my thing. They didn't put a, once they put a fullback in front of Barry Sanders, he ran for over 2,100 yards or 2,000 yards. And that was what, like nine years into his career, eight years into his career, because quiet is kept. He played with the fullback at Oklahoma State. But people will make you believe that this guy, oh, I mean, he just, he doesn't, I, I don't I don't want Barry Sanders. No, no, I don't want Barry Sanders. Give me Ben Tate. Okay, give me Tate. Tate's going to do exactly what I want him to do. He's going to grind out those two and a half yards of carry. 2.7 is a breakaway play for Tate. I'm going to ignore Reggie Bush. I'm going to ignore this playmaker. I want the guy that's going to ram it in there. So now we face third and six. People, people really don't understand the, the stupidity in, in their statements, and I don't. And I don't like to call people stupid. What I like to do is I like to hand you the marker, or the pen, or the pencil, whatever you want to use, the crayon, chalk, and I let you outline your own stupidity. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you draw the line. I'm gonna let you, you know, outline where you you went wrong. Some people go too far to where I can't even coach them back. These are the statements that people are making about the running back position. Oh, it's a dime a dozen. You can find any good. Yes, because there's Reggie Bushes out there right now just hanging out on on a street corner or just hanging in your local rec center, you know, playing hoops. You can find a running back anywhere. Yes, you can find basic running backs anywhere. You can't find playmakers anywhere. The position is special. Those that have a great running back are always in contention for the Super Bowl. The last... Five to seven years. Look at the last four teams in the AFC Championship game. NFC Championship makes those last four teams. Look at the backfield. Colts being the anomaly. People knock the Patriots, but look, Garrett Blunt is a really good running back. He has really good vision and footwork. But people want to ignore that because they see his size and see battering ram. And we'll talk about that coming up after the break on Direct Snap.
Uh, man, you know, it's it's that old thing, you know, perseverance, consistency, hard work, you know what I mean? Uh, my goal is to put the same work into, you know, my businesses, my family that I put into football, you know, and, and I've been running with that mantra since, you know, since I got married back in 97, you know, that if I'm going to have a successful marriage, I got to, you know, the same hard work and same consistency and discipline I had in the football field, I got to put it in my marriage and with my kids and with my, with my businesses and all that. So uh, it teaches you a lot, man, you know, how to deal with your fellow man and not look at his, his color, but look at, you know, what he can do for the overall good of what you're trying to accomplish, you know. So, uh, it, you know, sports to me in general is just an incredible deal when you, you talk about football specifically because of the closeness of guys. I, I just believe it's an amazing sport. All right, welcome back to Direct Snap. That was Tim Brown talking about what did football teach him. And you can find that book and our other book called Football, A Love Story on our website at footballgameplan.com slash books. Both books have over 100 interviews from former and current coaches, players, executives, entertainers, talking about what the game taught them, what they were able to get from the game, uh, what got them involved in football, why they stay involved in football, and ultimately what the game uh, means to them. It, it, these are two great reads, guys. And Again, I can't stress enough. We have guys like Brett Billima uh, involved, uh, Mike Singletary, Howard Mudd, Doc Holliday, head coach at Marshall. Um, a lot of great coaches in, involved. In, you know, Ross Tucker is involved as, as well. A lot of great people uh, we were able to get um, to interview for this book, and it's a great project. You guys check that out. And also Football Love Story at footballgameplan.com slash books. All right, getting back to caping for running backs. And what we're going to talk about now is what people miss when focusing on the wrong thing when talking about running backs. You know, a lot of people focus on the wrong thing and they miss the overall greater picture of, of what they're trying to, the point they're trying to make or the point they're missing. Um, so don't focus on the wrong thing. And, and first of all, first of all, first of all, I want to talk about how people look at, uh, let's say how people compare Ron Dane to Jerome Bettis. And this bothered me. You know, when Jerome Bettis is getting into the NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, oh, he played 55 years. Of course he's going to get all the yards. As if the longer you you play, the more yards you're going to get. As if it's that easy to gain yards in football. That I don't. It, the hardest thing to do in football is to run it when people are knowing that you're running it. Pittsburgh had Heinz Ward as the big play receiver for for their squad during Jerome Bettis' run, you knew they were running the football. They were run first team. That's the hardest thing to do. People forget Bettis was, what, rookie of the year in Los Angeles, 1,400 yards. And, and here's why people focus on the wrong thing, what they're missing. Because when they're focusing, focusing on the wrong thing, they're looking at Bettis, 5'11", 250. They look at Ron Dane, 5'11", 250. He's like Jerome Bettis. But what they miss is Bettis' vision, his footwork, his elusiveness. The only thing that Ron Dane and Jerome Bettis may have shared is similar height, weight, and maybe power. I still think Jerome Bettis was a more powerful runner than Ron Dane. He broke more tackles. But people forget the footwork. People forget Bettis also was a better receiver than Ron Dane. 
But people that just com- people that focus on the wrong thing will look at, oh, he's 5'11", 250. He's, he's just like Jerome Bettis. No, he's not just like Jerome Bettis. They're the same size. They're not the same player. That's what happens when you focus on the wrong thing. Jerome Bettis is a much better overall running back than Ron Dane. And granted, Jerome, here's the difference. Ron Dane was better, I think, in a zone blocking scheme as opposed to a, a power gap scheme like Jerome Bettis. You know, Bettis had vision. Ron Dane can also see the hole. He had a he had a good bit of vision. He had really good vision. He wasn't up to Bettis's par, but he wasn't terrible. Let me get that out the way. Ron Dane's vision wasn't terrible. He saw the hole. That's the difference between seeing the hole and being able to get there. Therein lies the difference between a Ron Dane and a Jerome Bettis. So everybody that's 5'10", 250, or 5'11", 250, or 250-pound plus running back like T.J. Duckett or uh, Brandon Jacobs is not Ron is not Jerome Bettis. They're two different players. Bettis's footwork, vision, elusiveness, and durability got him to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, but you know, I'm not giving someone a Hall of Fame uh, jacket just because they were durable. It's not the fact that they were durable. It's that they were durable and productive. Well, look, is if you extrapolate Ron Dane's 3.8 yards of carry over the over 13 years, he would have as many yards as Jerome Bettis. People that say that also are ignoring the fact that Jerome Bettis also, in the earlier part of his career, was a four and a half to 4.3 yards of carry type back. Ron Dane was never that back. Well, if you take it, I mean, if you take the samples, you're also missing the point that they're not the same back. Man, how can I shake people? Can't you you gotta shake some sense into some people? You're saying things that doesn't make sense. Bettis is Bettis because who he was. And what what makes it even more impressive for Jerome Bettis is that he started out as a fullback. He learned how to play tailback which is even more of an indictment on what Ron Dane brought to the table who played tailback his entire career. So a lot of people miss things when they focus on the wrong thing. Jerome Bettis deserves to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame because he's a great player. You just don't gain yards and everyone knows you're running the football. If Ron Dane was that guy, he would have been that guy for the Giants. Tiki ultimately became that guy. We'll talk about that in a minute, but that's the difference. Don't focus on the wrong thing. You also look at what happens when people focus on the wrong thing. What they miss is misplacing backs because of size. And for example, you look at guys like Danny Woodhead, Dexter McCluster, Dre Archer, CJ Spiller, you know, Darren Sproles and DeAnthony Thomas, those guys, because of their size, people think, Oh, the space. What should I do with these guys that have a ton of t- speed, ton of talent, a ton of production at running back on college film? Hear th- you hear that far away voice. Put them in space. Put them in space. Space. Think about that, man. I talked about it earlier. It's only 53 and a third yards wide. How much space you think you have on a football field? Now, we're playing a, pl- a park playground. No, no out of bounds. Hell yeah. Put them out there in space. Go. Matter of fact, go all the way across the street and stand there. Space. But you see guys like Woodhead. I was shocked that Woodhead didn't get drafted. Here's a guy that rushed for damn near 2,500 yards each and every season at, at uh, Shatteron State. Nah, he's too small. We got to, we got to, 
the Jets even went as far as putting him at receiver. What the hell are you thinking? Dexter McCluster tried to put him at receiver early in his Ole Miss career. They was like, you know what, man? Despite him being built like a 12th grader, despite him being built like a ninth grade female, let's put him in the backfield, man. Let's just get to do the ball. He did it in high school, gave him the rock, and he was tearing up SEC defenses because the point people miss about these smaller backs, they think, oh, you can't take the quote-unquote pounding as if someone's just going to – as if every hit in the NFL is, is Ray Lewis-esque. What they forget about guys like, you know, McCluster, those speed guys, those smallish speed guys that, that played in traditional running back systems, is that you can't tackle what you can't catch. You can't hit what you can't catch. By the time you see this little flea bastard running up on you, he's gone. You saw it in the Mac with Dre Archer, 1,400 yards rushing the football. And we know the Mac is about, you know, well, the Mac I grew up knowing was about running the football. Yeah, Travis, touchdown apprentice, you know, all those guys like that. Yeah, with Sean Tate, you know, yeah, Chester Taylor. You had some you had some dogs coming out the uh, the Mac, some some good running backs. So I always think of the Mac as as a as a running back conference, as a as a, a Big Ten light, a diet Big Ten, you know. <laughs> you know, so I look at Dre Archer that that last season, or second to last season, when they gave him the football from traditional running back position, fourteen hundred yards. Why? Because again, and they were running gap and power. They wasn't running that that fly sweep junk with with him and putting his speed in space. No, they was getting downhill and why and why he was causing problems because he had speed. He got up on you quick. Now where he doesn't have the he doesn't he may not have the the right balance that you want, which is why you see him kind of get tripped up or fall down a lot. But running him downhill, that's 1,400 yards. That was, what, like six and a half, seven yards a carry? Man, give me that every day of the week. But people focus on the wrong things. C.J. Spiller, I compared him to Marshall Falk coming out of Clemson. If the only game you watched of C.J. Spiller at Clemson was the ACC championship game versus Georgia Tech, when this guy, when they knew he was running the football, name a Clemson quarterback outside of Tyus Boyd that has been worth his salt. You can't. Deshaun Watson is going to change that trend, by the way. He's going to be a great one. But during that era, when C.J. Spiller was, was playing, you, you uh, Charlie Whitehurst? No. Come on now. People know they were running the ball. They put C.J. Spiller in the back. James Davis was hurt that game. They put C.J. Spiller back there. He ran for 200-plus yards against a very tough Georgia Tech defense. They couldn't stop him. Why? Because he has that, that, that one element that you can't coach. He's a breakaway threat. That's what made Falk dangerous at San Diego State. That's what made Falk rush for 300 yards against Miami. That's what made him tear a new hole into BYU. You know, that's what made him rip up the whack back in the day. And this one, the whack was, 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 wasn't whack. The whack was awesome. San Diego State was awesome because of Falk. But Spiller has gotten miscast, just like you saw Reggie Bush get miscast. They want to use him in space. Let's find creative ways to have him not gain yards and then blame him, you know, for not being able to gain yards. Because, you know, we try to put him in space. No, you give him the football like you would any other running back. DeAnthony Thomas, you go back to his high school tape. 
And this guy looks like Ricky from Boys in the Hood. Remember that highlight tape that Ricky played when USC came to visit him? Whoever that dude was on tape, I want him in my backfield. That dude was awesome. That's what DeAnthony Thomas looked like in high school. They put him in an eye formation. They ran, you know, strictly inside, you know, the uh, the, 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 the A and B gaps. He was explosive. Same with Sproles. Sproles rushed for 2,000 yards on a, on a consistent basis or 1,900 yards on a consistent basis at Kansas State and instantly gets to the league and say, oh, well, yeah, he can't do it. He just did it in a Big 12. Ask Oklahoma about <laughs> Darren Sproles. Hell, ask my raging Cajuns about Darren Sproles' ability to run the football. So don't misplace backs because of size. And and nowadays you, you start to see some, some people learn their lesson. I mean, you see it with Amir Abdullah. He's probably going to get the bulk of the carries, which I hope he does. They drafted him high. Lamar Miller finally started to get the football. You know, and he produced for Miami. Reggie Bush, when he got the football in Miami, he ran for over 1,000 yards at five-something yards a carry. Tiki Barber, when he finally realized, hey, he's still the same guy we saw going toe-to-toe with Warwick Dunn in the ACC. Let's give him the rock. He put together an impressive career. I wish he would have stayed uh, maybe like three to four more years. Then he would have been up in the top seven all time with his rushing yards. He was an outstanding tailback at Virginia. So don't misplace backs because of size. The other thing you see is the whole quote-unquote system backs. (sighs) Here's the thing. When people talk about system, first thing they bring up, well, the Denver Broncos under Mike Shanahan. I mean, you can plug any running back in that Shanahan system and, uh, you know, any running back can can rush for 1,000 yards or 1,200 yards in that that Shanahan system. It's not about the system. How about you give Shanahan credit for identifying traits and backs that work well with what he wants to do? That's the difference. So you can go from a Terrell Davis. You can go from a Mike Anderson to a Landis Gary to a Clinton Portis. And here's the difference. There's a difference between being special and being pretty good. Terrell Davis was special. Mike Anderson was pretty good. Alandis Garrett was pretty good. There's another one. I want to say Tatum Bell was pretty good in in the system. But when he got Clinton Portis, Portis was averaging five and a half yards a carry for those two years. Those are the two things that that are different. When you have a special guy where he has special traits, they do great things. So you'll see Terrell Davis do great things, you know, um, for, a, you know, a team like the Denver Broncos. You'll see, you know, a guy like uh, Clint Portis do great things. Everyone else fits within what they do well, which is why they had success. So it's not the system. It's picking the right players to execute well within what you're trying to do, you know. Just like there's a difference when you look at spread running backs. There's a difference between Lake Seastrunk and Bishop Sankey. People don't want to acknowledge it, but here it is. Sankey and and Seastrunk played in spread systems. So the gaps are already created for you. What makes them different is what they can do with the football in their hands and also from a pre-snap situation. So you saw... Lake Seastrong, people say, oh, he didn't have vision. 
No. His vision actually was a lot better than Bishop Sankey. But what do I know? I, I, I don't I don't know what I don't know what I'm looking at. I'm 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 oh, but he's not if he was any good, he would be in the NFL. Ha ha ha, got you. Because yeah, all great players are playing in the NFL right now. There's no good players right now that just got cut from NFL teams. No really good players that are that are in that Darius Haywood Bay right now is still getting the NFL paycheck as a receiver, and he can't catch. So that kills any argument you have about not being able to play the position or, or you know, or be, not uh, being in the league is is saying that you can't play football. No. Lake Seastrunk was a better overall running back than Bishop Sankey. Where Lake Seastrunk can't create, Bishop Sankey gets tackled. Where Lake Seastrunk can outrun defenders to the end zone, Bishop Sankey gets tackled. But I forgot, people like average backs. People want average People want that two-and-a-half-yard-to-carry type guy to run in there and, and, and bang helmets with, with the defenders. There's a difference between Trey Mason, you know, LaMichael James, as Trey Mason, Trey Mason and LaMichael James as opposed to a guy like, you know, Tevin, Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman ha- has breakaway speed. You give him a clear lane, and he ran through it. But if you go back to, let's say, you know, high school, you look at, let's say, someone like a Trey Mason. And Tevin Coleman in high, Tevin Coleman in high school played played receiver. You know, he played a lot of different things. He was, a, he was a tremendous athlete, tremendous speed. At Indiana, all you saw was gaping holes of him running through. People were like, oh, look, he got the vision. That's not vision, man. That's running where he's supposed to run. So, you know, you look at Trey Mason's high school tape. You look at LaMichael James' high school tape. They played in you know, downhill, eye formation, power eye, you saw a little bit. And so they had the experience of playing, you know, well pre-snap, which you have to have in order to be great. It just so happens that they were put in spread systems. So a lot of things you have to go back and look at. You know, there's a difference between Mason, Michael James, and Tevin Coleman and Joseph Randall. There's a difference. You know, those guys I mentioned, those aforementioned guys are better runners pure running backs as opposed to the to the latter. It's not saying that Coleman and Randall can't be effective. It's just saying that if I had a choice, I would take the aforementioned two before the latter two. Because there's a difference when you look at not all spread backs are the same, and you can tell the difference. I mean, you look at Jonathan Gray, who was held as the greatest high school running back in Texas football history. But when you pop in that high school tape, you saw him running through gaping holes and he's a very good athlete so he's going to be faster than the guys he's playing against so he's going to have 3,000 yards a season you put him in Texas's offense where now he has to do a lot more pre-snap and it is not working out for him those are the different things you look for when you look at the position but when you focus on the wrong thing you miss all this you also focus on Wisconsin backs and this was part of the, the the conversation that I had all day on Twitter yesterday and it's still going on I'm still waiting for somebody to answer my question about uh, <laughs> Monty Ball played in a, a zone bl- 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 blocking scheme at, at Wisconsin. Please, oh, oh, they responded. He says they ran a combo of zone and power. Any offense runs a combination of zone, power, gap. Man, they let anybody talk football. NFL teams considered them a zone for scouting purposes because they didn't run traditional plays. Dude, get all the way the F out of here with that. You can't even prove that. You're just saying shit now. 
But I digress. Let's go back to Wisconsin backs. Starting with Ryan Dane. Now, just off the top of my head, I can name a bunch of Wisconsin backs that, to me, stood out. Ron Dane, Michael Bennett, Anthony Davis, uh, Brian Calhoun, Monty Ball, um, White, James White, and Melvin Gordon. So that's, what, six or seven running backs right there I've named since, what, 2000? And you know there have been more that have played at Wisconsin in that same Wisconsin offense since 2000 outside of those backs that I just named. But the reason why those backs instantly come out in my head that stand out, because they were really good running backs. It didn't matter that they played at Wisconsin. They had the vision. They have the power. They have some good balance. Some have breakaway speed. You look at uh, Bennett. You look at um, Melvin Gordon. You know, Calhoun was pretty shifty. I think he got a raw deal in Detroit. Anthony Davis was pretty good. So you you have Imani Ball is a good back. And here's the thing, and this is the point I was making yesterday on Twitter. When you look at Imani Ball, they drafted him in Denver to be the bell cow. He's going to be the running back. He's coming out of a power gap scheme. You know, they were going to do they were going to do right by him. They're going to run the football. But then when you bring in Peyton Manning, what happens? Well, we got to make Peyton Manning the focal point. So now it goes back to the myth way back in the first part of this podcast, well, he needs to be a better blocker. Man, F that. You think Edron James was a better blocker, uh, one of the best blockers? No. They ran the heck out of Edron James. You run the football with Edron James, and Edron James is a guy that was unique because he was able to do both. He can play in the zone scheme. You know, he can play in a power scheme, play that power scheme in Miami. Remember that vividly, that big number five at Miami? You know, so he can do both. Monty Ball is a guy that's strictly one of your volume runners. And I, and I talk about that a lot, you know, and if people don't understand, volume doesn't mean, okay, we got to keep giving him carries for him to gain yards. It's not about that. It's not about him getting a bunch of carries. It's about backs getting into a rhythm some guys can jump start themselves cold some guys need two or three carries in a row to get that rhythm before they get a better feel for the defense and they're able to then consistently gain yards that's the point that's money ball's game it's the same game that you see with demarco murray and demarco murray now it's not DeMarco Murray I saw at high, in high school. So we're talking about two different backs. You know, DeMarco Murray in high school was probably the most elusive runner I've ever seen in my life outside of Barry Sanders, but was very elusive. DeMarco Murray now, with all of the injuries he suffered at Oklahoma, all of the injuries he suffered at, um, you know, going into, you know, in Dallas early on, those nicks and bruises, you know, he's a stiff guy now. He's a little stiff, you know. But he's the same guy. You're not. You're going to give him the football a couple of times in a row because he's going to get in that groove, just like Mark Ingram. He's going to get in that groove. And once he gets a good feel for the defense, then boom, that's when you have a guy that, that you want back there in the backfield. And that's Monty Ball's game. And it's funny because the Eagles went ahead and, you know, traded away a game breaker, I believe, in LaShawn McCoy because they want someone 
that has that consistent chain-moving ability like a DeMarco Murray, which is like Monty Ball. Why you want that guy in the backfield? Because, again, the time of possession. The Eagles will probably be great defense. They were great last I thought they were really good last year defensively. They're going to be even better defensively this year. Why? Because they have that guy now in the backfield that can consistently gain yards. That's a, a, a chain mover. They're going to try to win the time of possession because that's where their defense struggled last year because their offense, those short drives, put the defense right back out on the field, and now the defense is tired and teams come back on the Eagles. The Eagles defense will be really good because they got a guy that people seem to knock the, the style of back, but that's exactly what they went out and got. It's funny how that works, you know. So people look at these Wisconsin backs and saying, oh, it's a system. No, it's not the system. They recruit guys like the Denver Broncos did under Shanahan. They got guys that fit well within what they like to do. That's good coaching. That's great meshing talents with scheme. That's how you make football work. So all of those backs I named, Dane Bennett, Davis, Calhoun, Ball, White, and Gordon, are great running backs. They're really good running backs. So that's the difference. You look at Alabama backs. There's a difference between Mark Ingram, Eddie Lacy, Trent Richardson, and T.J. Yeldon. At some point, I'm going to say the first three played all, all played together. The latter three, Lacy, Richardson, and Yeldon, all played together. So you can kind of make a comparison of, of, these guy, of these guys and what they bring to the table. You know, so when you look at Ingram, Ingram had tremendous vision and footwork, which is why he had the most yards, which is why he won the Heisman Trophy. So he had he was making the right read and was able to get there every time. What made Lacey better than Richardson? Lacey has that burst. Lacey may not have the vision that Ingram has, you know, but he has the burst. So And he's a little bit more decisive than Trent Richardson, which is why Lacey was getting more carries than Richardson at the time. Lacey is a really good back. He's not better than Mark Ingram, but he is better than Trent Richardson, in my opinion. He had the burst. And when you have someone that's decisive and has burst, then you let me, you 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 know, you 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 put that guy in the backfield. That's the guy you want to stop. Now, when you look at Richardson, Richardson, Richardson did a lot of uh, things. He did a lot of things well. He wasn't great in one area. He did a lot of things well. He had pretty decent vision. Decent. Good power. He can catch. He very good receiver, capable receiver. A lot of things well. Wasn't really great. So that's why I would rank him third. And not even talking about pro careers. Just talking about what these guys bring to the table from trait standpoint and why they fell in line the way they did, not even looking at what they did as pros. Yeldon is a guy that he wasn't as explosive as, let's say, Lacey. You know, he didn't have he doesn't have that burst. He has vision like Ingram. He's a little bit more shifty than Richardson. He runs upright. So his change of direction is, is not where you ideally want it to be, but he also is a really good receiver. So I think he's going to have value with Jacksonville. So it's not the fact that, well, you know, Trent Richardson failed. You don't want to take Alabama backs because, I mean, you know, look at look at 
all these guys. Ingram didn't get the opportunity. When he did, he became one of the best running backs in the NFC because he got those volume carries. He's that back. Lacey is a jump starter. You know, Lacey will start great, then he'll go cold. You know, he's not one of those guys that you would say, I, I have to constantly feed early on. He can come off the off the side and then and get a good game right there and be burst and have a burst and and you know, he he's one of those backs. He doesn't need a lot of volume to get started. And when we say volume, he doesn't need a lot to get into that rhythm early. Richardson, I think, is a volume guy, but I think he's also a guy that's more inclined to playing in one type of scheme. I think he's more of your inside zone. He needs a fullback in front of him to take away that initial threat. So he's limited in what he can do from a running back perspective. Doesn't mean he's a bad running back. You know, I disagree with with uh, um, Ryan Clark say he's the worst running back in, in you know NFL history. It's funny, but it's wrong. I think that's a wrong assessment. He can play. He just he just needs to be. He's limited in what he can do. Yeldon, I think, can play in a zone, outside zone, not just inside zone, but outside zone. I don't think he can do well with a you know, with a blocker in front of him. I think he's more along the lines of how Edron James was, you know, a guy that can do that, that excels in that stretch play, that stretch outside zone, all that stuff like that. I think that's more of Yeldon's game. I think Yeldon's also very underrated as a uh, receiver too. So I'm really excited to see how he plays in um, Jacksonville, but that's the difference between Alabama back. So don't look at Derrick Henry when you're looking at, don't look at, you know, Ingram or Henry, all these guys like that when you're looking at these other backs. You know, don't don't say, okay, well, I'm not going to take a Derrick Henry because look at Trent Richardson, how he felt. Every back is different. No one back is the same. So that's what you should look at when you're focusing on these backs and what people miss when they focus on the wrong thing. So people will focus on the uniform and miss the fact that these guys are really good backs. You know, people focus on Wisconsin, focus on the offense. Name an offensive lineman out of Wisconsin outside of Joe Thomas that has been outstanding in the NFL outside of Joe Thomas and Travis Frederick. I'll wait. That's your homework assignment, too. Um, so, But people look at the spread backs. Well, you know, they, they, they're they coming out that system. They'll look at backs because of their size and think they can't play tailback, even though they've played tailback their entire life. So those are the things you, you miss when you focus on the wrong things. So hopefully this caping for running backs can help you look at running backs differently than what you've grown accustomed to looking at running backs or how you've grown accustomed to looking at running backs. So... That's it for this episode. That's my caping for running backs. You know, it's a great direct snap. And, again, you can find the show archived at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. Hit me up on Twitter with your responses, at FBallGamePlan. I'm on Instagram, FootballGamePlan, Facebook fan page, FootballGamePlan. And check out all of our analysis, updated previews, breakdowns, all on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and this has been another episode of Direct Snap. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn.